Amen. It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Good to be together. It's good to gather, isn't it? And you know, it's not about uh, the size of the gathering. It's about the gathering. Jesus just sat with 12, and really only 11 of them had a heart after God, right? Judas is going to soon betray him. Um, But so, you know, 11 people that had a heart after God changed the entire world. We literally are reading this word because 11 people, isn't that amazing? Jesus got his heart into 11 people that changed the entire world. It's amazing. So, you know, don't ever think, uh, you know, who are we and what is this? What is this place? Little Hudson Valley, little Poughkeepsie, Wappingers, Fishkill, Hopewell, whatever your town is locally here. Don't ever think, you know, that um, you missed the boat. You could have been in one of the big cities or in um, and moved to another country and you missed your dream and you're stuck here. And what are you doing here? Don't ever think that God doesn't know what he's doing, that he's got you right where he wants you. I want you to say that out loud. That's what we're going to talk about today. God's got me right where he wants me. You were meant to be here. And it doesn't matter what decisions you made or didn't make or mistakes you made. You were meant to be here. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And he's got a plan and a purpose for this community, for this valley. God has really protected us too. Haven't you noticed that? It doesn't mean something can't come. And even if it does come, it doesn't mean that God's protection has suddenly left. But don't you see God's hand of protection over this region? I really do. I'm not saying that the other cities that are going through things deserve it. It's not like that or that there's not people praying there. But God has really protected us and blessed us. And I'm so thankful for that. I know we've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And um, again, I don't want to say that the other cities that are experiencing a, a worse event than us are not praying. But I do see God's hand And uh, I don't understand it all, but I know it's directly related to his grace and our prayers. It's our prayers and his grace. And again, God's going to be God. God's going to do what he's doing. He's he's doing a master plan. There's like sub plans throughout time. And then there's the master plan. And, um, you know, sometimes we question God's faithfulness because a person believed God and expected God to do something and they die and don't see it. But God's faithfulness was actually bigger than the person. It was about, you know, even their lineage, even their family line, maybe down the road, or even greater than their family of a whole city or a whole region or a whole nation. You know, who knows what God is doing uh, bigger than we can see and understand. We don't really know. So God has some sub plans and little plans. Like, isn't it amazing how God cares about the little details in your life? And sometimes I think he doesn't, not that I get offended or hurt, but sometimes I think God doesn't care about that. And then God will show in little ways that he cares about even the little details. And yet at the same time, simultaneously, there's something bigger going on. Actually, just this week I was praying with the Lord and I'm like, Lord, how can you possibly be paying attention to me praying? Well, the moon and the sun and the earth, and the tides, and the storms, you know, I mean, it's all tied together, and they're all working perfectly, 
And simultaneously, I just brought Elijah, not that I didn't care about these other two, but I just suddenly thought of my oldest, and I thought of him 20 years in the future. And I was like, you're listening to me now, but the crazy thing is you're also setting something up right now for 20 years in the future for him to be on a particular road. I just saw him like with his family, this weird vision. And he's going to honor, well, I say he's going to like I already saw it. I'm, let's just call it a, a metaphor, a picture. But I saw it like it was real. And I see him on a road with his family and it's a car accident that's avoided at the exact second. You know, you know how many pieces and that have to operate every single day? We're talking second by second for a car to line up, you know, with another car in an accident. You know what God is doing and working and shaping? I mean, you are making micro decisions and decisions and you brush your teeth for 30 seconds longer than normal or you stare at yourself in the mirror for five seconds more and it's only a half of a second for an accident. Isn't that weird in our days? And God is actually, in his grace and his mercy, working those things out decades ahead of us. You know, how many times have you been in the right place at the right time? And it, that could be amazing just if it was like a decision that you and I made that day. That's amazing enough, except that I love that when you really boil down what it took for us to be in the right place at the right time, some things that were like decades of decisions. And I just see God's sovereignty, even though we have free will and we're moving freely and God is doing so many special things and little things. And hopefully I'm making some sense here. Because I'm saying two things at once. God is big and God is sovereign, but he's also intimate and he cares about all the little details. And he's also listening to us pray to him uh, right there like a friend. And simultaneously, he's moving kings and kingdoms and pushing demonic forces away. Isn't that incredible? Isn't our God amazing? He's so good. And he's so kind and merciful and... I said to the Lord this week, I said, Lord, I always tell him I don't deserve it, but I said to the Lord, you ready for this? Something I say a Christian should never say. I said, it's not fair. I don't think people should ever say it, but especially if I hear Christians say it's not fair, if my kids say it's not fair, I get really, really mad because fair is, first of all, it's irrelevant. I mean, I'm not even going to get into it, but fair is ridiculous. I said to the Lord, though, I said, it's not fair that you're this good to me. It's not fair that I have this beautiful home and I'm praying on this beautiful property. Meanwhile, someone in another country who is an equal believer to me is suffering for you right now. It's not fair. I just had this revelation. I don't know why the Lord even, why it was this week that it happened. Maybe because we're doing so much with the human trafficking movement now. Uh, but suddenly I just, I prayed so differently. I said, Lord, it's not fair. And it caused me to pray differently. What happens when we say, Lord, it's not fair, right? Or we just say it's not fair in humanity. What happens? It's usually fueled by jealousies and bitterness and envies, right? And I said those same words, it's not fair, but it caused me to have compassion and have a heart and to cry out for the Lord's mercy for whoever that is that suddenly I'm realizing that I have a much better human, not in spiritual, but human situation than them, began to pray. 
And those are the things that we need to be constantly reminded of, that, that there are things that we don't understand that is outside of our realm, and we need to actually be who we are. And we can't look at circumstances, and if your circumstances are easier or perceived better than someone else's, it's actually God giving you a responsibility to pray for those who don't have the same freedoms or comforts, etc. Just like a human body. I was thinking that imagine the foot said to the hand, it's not fair. Meanwhile, the foot can never be a hand and the hand can never be a foot. There's a, a Christian that, amazing, right? Who knows the guy who learned to play the guitar with his feet? He was born with no arms and he just wanted to glorify God anyway. I can't imagine the determination and the focus to be able to do that. And he doesn't just play. He plays beautiful too, right? Plays the guitar really, really well with his feet. Better than I can play the guitar with my hands and just worships the Lord. And so people have learned ways, but the foot in general, besides that special miraculous case, is a foot. It's not a hand, and the hand is not a foot. There's a story in the Bible that we just happened to read this week, and it's one that I love. And then when uh, we read it, I said, I was just reminded, Lord, I forgot. Because the word's big. Isn't the Bible big? When you read something, a story that you know, but suddenly you're like, that's right. I love this story. We read it just a few days ago. If you've been reading along in our Bible plan, it's in the book of Mark. And we just read through Mark. So it's probably about, uh, maybe it was Monday. Um, I can't remember the exact day we read this because uh, we just finished Mark. Um, but in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, uh, we have the story of the demoniac. Who knows the story of the demoniac? And you can also find it in uh, Matthew as well. And you can find it in Luke, some pieces of it in each of the story. There's little pieces. Um, but in Mark chapter 5, it says in verse 1, they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now in Matthew, it says the Gadarenes, because this region actually had a town called uh, Gerasenes and Gadarenes. Both of those, they were two separate towns, but within the same region. Matthew and Mark, the world would say that's contradictory. I don't see that's contradictory. I see that as me telling a story and Dawn telling a story. I don't know. It was somewhere near Lake George. You know, I was there, okay? It was Lake George or was it Glens Falls? I mean, for me, from Poughkeepsie to there, it's the same thing. Now, if you live in Glens Falls, you'd say, no, I live in Glens Falls. I don't live in Lake George. Right? That's a vacation town. I live in Glens Falls. For me and Poughkeepsie, I'm like, it's the same area. So anyway, they're not contradicting each other. And then other people, because they want to be so weird about the word, and the word has to be like so exact that it can't have, someone can't write down the wrong town. So then they say it's two different stories, which is just ridiculous, because it has every detail. It's exactly the same, except for the name. So the Gadarenes and the Gerasenes, it's the same area. So, and, and what happens here is, in each of the books, we also have a story. Remember when Jesus is on the, on the sea, and there's a storm. Mark chapter 5, you can find this in the other books as well. This is very interesting. Because in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, 
let's cross to the other side of the lake in verse 36. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. And this is very interesting because it's what I want to preach about, what I want to get to in Mark chapter 5. This Mark little 4 account kind of sets our stage of what's happening here. There was a storm that was uh, between Jesus and what's about to happen here in Mark chapter 5. Everybody say there was a storm between Jesus. It didn't stop Jesus, but it was between him. And it says that Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting. It says, teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, this is significant because what's about to happen here is Jesus is about to have an encounter pretty much as soon as he gets out of his boat in Mark chapter 5. And on the way, the devil, this region, I don't have the time today. And we don't, I don't want to keep you forever, but you can go and do your studies. We don't know how deep Jesus goes into the it's Decapolis, or we call it the Ten Cities we're about to read about, and that's these towns, the Gerasenes and the Gadarenes, and Philadelphia is part of that Ten Cities, which I thought was interesting when I looked up what were the Ten Cities, because Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love, which is significant when we're about to read what happens here in Mark 5. And so, but before Jesus goes, and we don't know how deep, but we know that those towns were Gentile towns. These are not these were not Jews, but Jesus' mission was to the Jews. So then, uh, hopefully I'm not talking, am I talking too fast? Or is this all right? Okay. So uh, we don't know exactly how deep Jesus goes, but he does tell us his mission was for the Jews. So then some people argue that Jesus never had an encounter with anybody but a Jew. That's not true because in this same region, that's where the woman comes up to him and says, hey, you know, I want something. And Jesus says, you know, um, I don't uh, give food to the, to, you know, I, I'm here to feed the Jews and I'm here for the Gentiles. She's like, well, even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. So we know that Jesus, and he sees her faith and he gives her what she's asking for. So we know that Jesus did have encounters with Gentiles, even though his primary focus was for the Jews. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is because what's happening here is whether this was uh, these were Jewish people, whether these were Gentile people, they were raising um, pigs, so most likely it was Gentiles. Um, but the devil, whether it was a Jew or whether it was a Gentile, doesn't want Jesus to change the worship in this community. Jesus is about to change. Remember, everywhere that Jesus went, the regions would change, didn't they? Everywhere he went, what happens is when Jesus goes into a town and the people were really had, a, a, had little knowledge and weren't re very religious, Jesus has impact on them. 
Don't you notice as you read through the stories, the more they think they know who Jesus is or the more they think they've got stuff figured out, the less power Jesus has in the region, right? When we read through the stories, right? He could do little miracles because of their lack of faith because they thought, oh, we know who this Jesus is. Isn't he the son of the carpenter? You know, we know who his brothers and sisters are. So he comes into this region in Mark chapter 5, and I'm just setting this up because what is happening here is the devil has this mountain. The devil has this mountain. Everybody say the devil had control of this region. The devil doesn't want you to be an influence, doesn't want Jesus in the Hudson Valley. And he's going to do everything he possibly can. He cannot stop. I mean, Jesus is asleep. You know, the only one that ever gets afraid to do what the Lord's trying to do in a region is people. The people in the boat, right? The disciples in the boat, they're the ones afraid. Jesus is not afraid. He's got his head on a pillow. The Lord's in control. He knows what he's doing. But he's heading somewhere. And nonetheless, the storm still came. And there are things that have control even over the Hudson Valley, but over the USA, over the world. There are powers and there are rulers. There's kingdoms. There's demonic powers over this world. And they're trying to pull the strings and pull the community and to try to stir up chaos, right? That's very obvious that there are powers to be to try to control regions. And so there are powers to be, powers that be trying to control this region. They're trying to stop them. Jesus comes on the shore. So it says when Jesus climbed out of the boat, verse 2, Mark chapter 5. So it's immediate. That's why I read about the storm. Because the moment he gets out of the boat, he's met by someone. It says a man possessed by an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It says this man lived in the graveyards. He lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This guy was a weird guy, to say the least. This guy was a freak. And what's weird is the demonic kingdom, right? Marilyn Manson, I think last time I heard, not that I've looked it up, but I remember when I was a kid, he had over 400-something cuts on his body because he, they're still doing that. This is nothing new. It's just, you know, it's just demonic powers, you know, and this is what he would do, go on stage and cut himself for the, for the audience and obviously did it in his own time too. But like I said, I was a kid and he had over 400 some scars already on his body. And so, you know, it's just a demonic thing, all right? This, this is a human being. Everybody say he's a human being. But there's demonic power that had control over him. There are human beings in this region. Everybody say there's human beings in this region. There are human beings in Seattle. They are humans. There's just demonic powers that are using humans to try to control a city, to try to control a region. And the Lord's going to deal with it. Everybody say the Lord. Come on, let's just say it. You know, let's just say it proactively, right? The Lord is going to deal with it. 
He loves the people. He's going to deal with those devils. Nobody even knew what to do with this guy. They couldn't even try to deal with him. They couldn't restrain it. Isn't this prophetic? The city could not deal with this issue. They didn't have the power. They could not restrain him. They tried to chain it. They tried to control it. They tried to deal with the issue. And it could not be held back with human power. He just break the chains. It says, though, it says, verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most guy? God. It's not the guy. That's what I was trying. I'm getting it. My mind is thinking faster than I'm reading. It's not the guy who is saying, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? It's the demonic powers that have this guy. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Isn't that interesting, too? The devil knows. I'm just giving you a lot. Of, I'm trying to get somewhere. Say he's getting somewhere. But I'm giving you some tidbits along the way. Is that okay? The devil knows his time. The, the demons, they know that they're going to be tortured. They know revelation. They know it's the Bible. They know the truth. They're just trying to get as much done in the time that they have as possible. Just like we are, so is the enemy trying to conquer and just, just destroy as much as he possibly can in the time that he has. They know what's coming. And they say to him, don't torture me. It says, Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us. Into those pigs, the spirits begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Jesus dealt with those spirits, didn't he? Jesus dealt with those devils. When Jesus comes into a region, something happens, the devil cowers, the devil bows before him. You just say the name of Jesus, right? Who's had a dream? This gets weird. It's not, shouldn't be weird. It's only weird because really society says it's weird. Who has ever had a dream, something demonic, whether you can't breathe, you know, you're being choked to death, whatever, and who has said the name of Jesus in your dream? Has anybody in here ever said the name of Jesus in your dream? All right, we've all, how have we all experienced, it's supposed to, dreams are supposed to be, you know, a personal, intimate thing, and we've all experienced it. At some point or another, we've all experienced it. It's just as real today as it was right here in the Bible. Everybody, I want you to say it, it's just as real today as it was in the Bible. We're just more civilized. It's more subtle. It's more hidden and we're the weirdos that somehow have all experienced the same exact thing in our own private dreams. The devil didn't win, did he? 
because you're a child of God. But he's trying to choke you. He's trying to choke the word of God. The moment you say the name of Jesus, this thing has to let go. What I've experienced, and maybe you have, but this is my personal experience, is that I can't get the words out. Because they're trying so hard. And the moment I finally can get Jesus out of my mouth. Has anybody ever experienced that? That specifically? I see the nods. And so that tells me the power of Jesus. That the devil does not want to hear that name. And to know that it's not me. Over me, he has power. Because I'm just a human. But in Christ, he has no power. Amen. This was a human being that the devil had a whole legion inside. And the guy couldn't do anything about it. Neither could the city do anything about it. But the name of Jesus, at the moment that Jesus, I don't know why Mark words it this way, but it's a little confusing. Hopefully you got that. Really, Jesus gets out of the boat and already tells the spirit to get out of him. It looks like he comes running, but actually it says it's because Jesus had already said, come out of him. The moment he gets out of the boat, Jesus speaks and deals with this devil and the man comes running with a shriek in response to it. Jesus wants to deal with this spirit that's over this entire region, over this whole nation, this chaos, this demonic powers that are trying to control this nation. The Lord's going to deal with it, but he does it in a specific way. He does it by dealing not with the human being. He delivers the human being of the spiritual things. It's not humans you're fighting against. It's not color. It's not culture. It's not city and city. It's not north and south. You can burn up. You can get rid of Confederate flags. We're not going to get rid of the issue. And I'm not trying to say I'm for or against them. I'm just saying that that's not the issue. There's a spiritual issue of chaos and confusion and division that's in our nation right now. And it needs to be dealt with. And there's only one way to deal with it, and that's through Christ. Through the name of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. And it was dealt with, and very quickly, and very simply. And it says that when this happened, the herdsmen, verse 14, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. The Lord, and this is exactly what we need to see. This is what we need to just begin to pray for. It's insanity. Have you been, have you, are you like me, and you just find yourself saying, this is insanity? I'm like, every day, this is insanity. I say it laughing, it's not funny. But I don't know how to respond, it's just insanity. And the things I'm hearing are insane. But he was perfectly sane because it was dealt with. He was perfectly sane. This is what the Lord's going to do is restoring order. He brought order. This was a, this was a we might call this in, in the kingdom of God a stronghold. This ten cities. This was a stronghold. The devil had this region. Like I said, I looked it up and I was surprised. The city of Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, that's in the ten cities. Literally, it's called the city of brotherly love, right? That's where we get that from. 
Like this Philadelphia is named after that Philadelphia. And it says that they were afraid, and then it says, and verse 17, the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. That's not my sermon today, but I just want you to note that when you begin to pray and the Lord begins to deal with things, do not be surprised that there's more opposition and that the world really doesn't want the freedom that you're offering them. But don't worry about that yet because something's about to happen. Everybody say something is about to happen. Because right now, a life has been changed. It was a small thing. It was a spark. And I started saying this, the Lord said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, in Haggai, they looked at the foundation. And if you just looked at the foundation, you could think, what is this? Just a foundation. And the Lord says, don't just look at this foundation in the book of Haggai. You guys remember that? You can go and you can read it. It's because the, you remember their temple had been torn down and the foundation's laid again. And there's weeping, there's mourning. You can read about that. And there's a couple of books that are kind of telling the same story there in Ezra, etc., and they're weeping because they remembered what it used to be, but there's also joy because of what it's going to be. And the Lord just says, don't look at the small beginning. Don't look at this nothing. This doesn't mean anything right now. Don't, don't worry that it doesn't look like much. I'm going to build something here. Ultimately, he was referring to Jesus Christ. I'm going to build a temple that's made without hands. I'm going to build a place inside of you that my spirit can dwell that can never be torn down again. And so the enemy may come and, and just try to disrupt you. You're trying to pray. You're trying to push through this time. You've been praying, 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 and it doesn't seem like things are changing, but they are. Who's looking at some of the signs and seeing that the enemy is losing its, its stronghold? It's almost like a tug of war right now, though, right? I'm praying, and then I hear that the police went into a city and started dealing with it, and I'm like, thank you, God. And then I hear that they, you know, that they burned down another thing. And I just see the tug of war. It's the struggle, but the Lord's winning, isn't he? The Lord's going to win. We're going to keep praying this through, and the people are going to keep praying this through. But right now in this moment, the populace of this country doesn't want Jesus. And that's where we're at. Let's just come to terms with where we're at, and let's put ourselves in this story. Right now, the Lord has dealt with you. Who, who, who had a devil or two the Lord had to deliver you of? And you've been dealt with, and the Lord has set you free. That's an amazing moment, because that city better get ready. The city might not want you. The city might be afraid. They don't understand you. They don't like you. But there's going to be something that's about to happen from out of you. Come on, this is our job, and this is my point of today's sermon. I give you a lot of tidbits. Uh, this is what I want you to get, is that the Lord's got you right where he wants you in exactly the time that he's got you, and there was a devil, in fact, some sort of a legion, we don't know how many, but there was a stronghold of devils over this region that tried to control this mountain, and God's dealing with it, and God dealt with it this way. He delivered one. Everybody say, he delivered one. All that Jesus needed was one man. Everybody, I want you to say that out loud, is all that Jesus needs is me. To do what I've been called to do. 
It says that they begged him, they pleaded with him to leave, verse 17. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed did what all of us would do and begged to go with him. Who loves this story, by the way? You guys know this story? I love this story because this moment right here, I'm getting to it, this moment right here. You would think, Jesus, if I was this guy, not only... What I want to be with Jesus, but I wouldn't want to be in this demonic city. Why would I want to be here in the same place, you know, that, uh, that, that, that I've been bound, that I've been captive, and that obviously doesn't want the one that just delivered me? They're all telling him to leave, and I'm like, you're telling him to leave. You don't want my Jesus. I'll go find another city to live in. Whoever dreams, listen, who's ever dreamed about maybe moving down south? I hear so many people say, there's so much more Christian down in North Carolina. I'd love to just go live there because it's just much more of a Christian community. Has anybody heard that from Christians? Like literally that specific state too, you know? I'm not saying that you can't do that. If that's what the Lord's put in your heart, then do that. But that's not usually what God does. God's got you right where he wants you. And he got you saved in this town and not in North Carolina for a reason. Because this city that you live in has a demonic stronghold that you can actually deal with because he's delivered with you. Come on, we know this. Who knows your word? Who knows that you have no power against the devil but Jesus Christ who is within you? The devil cowers at him. He bows. It says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, that's interesting because my Bible says that it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So now that means that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the Jesus in me, present tense. The devil wants you. That's why we get those dreams. I believe that that's the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it's the devil. I mean, it's the devil, but the Holy Spirit allows you to have it because he wants to show you. I mean, how does every Christian have it? To show you the power of the name of Jesus, that he can just keep you from being what I've called you to do. Just let that gospel out. That's what the gospel means. I mean, the gospel is not just the story. Hey, let me tell you the Bible. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the Bible. I love the Bible, and I love studying it, but all of it really culminates to one thing, to one man. I love finding out all the little details of the word, but if you get so bogged down in all of that, and you miss that, it's the man Christ that came to deliver us. He came to set you free. That's the gospel. Everybody say, that's the gospel, and that's what it's all about. And the devil is so afraid for you to just tell one person about this Jesus that has done something in you. Listen, I'm not saying you don't study. We study to protect ourselves, keep ourselves safe, so that I don't get into error, right? That's why I want to study, because I've been in error, and I don't want to be in error anymore. So I get into his word, and I start to learn who God is. It's just like if you fall in love with someone or you love anyone, you want to know as much as you can about that person. That's why we do it, but what's already happened has happened. We came to Christ. Christ has delivered us. That's the gospel. That's the message. I hope that that's the truth because all those poor people on the battlefields that have been led to the Lord as they were dying, well, they didn't have a chance to learn one thing about who God is except that I know I need him right now. That's what I know. 
That's what the man on the cross knew. I don't know anything about you. I just know that you are it. That's what I need right there. At the end of the day, I hope I'm not being confusing, but I just feel like sometimes we get so heady. We get so, we get so doctrinal. We get to so much uh, other stuff that we just miss the simplicity of Jesus Christ and the simplicity of his name and the power of his name. And we get so focused on what cities and what towns and all these things, and we forget that you just say the name of Jesus to that devil because Jesus has done something inside of you, and that thing has to flee. We don't talk about that because that's the weird part of the gospel. That was Jesus' time. That's not for now. Yeah, the devil would love for you to think that because now he's winning. He's controlling cities because churches across America, churches across the Western world. People say, why do things happen in Africa? Because they don't believe that Jesus was Jesus 2,000 years ago and suddenly his power ceased when all the disciples died. Because they believe that something supernatural happened inside of me and that's the gospel. That's really it. I'd love to learn more about him because I want to know about this man who did something inside me. That's why I want to know about him. But I don't want to know about him so that I could be saved or so that something can happen in me. I'm not going to get set free because I know I'm set free, so I want to know. So he did what all of us would, would, would want to do. I just want to, I want to just get out of here, and I want to come with you. I just want to go to Bible school. I just want to go where other Christians are. I don't want to be around the world. I just want to go learn about you and go to Bible school and go get a diploma and put on my wall and just get out of here. And then I want to live in the most Christian town, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, North Carolina. Let's see where else. Come on, it's funny, but it's true. It's what we do. Graduate from those colleges and then go live in Christian cities. To then have this incestual Christian life, just Christians and Christians, no one's really changing anything. You want to hear the Bible school that Jesus sent him to? Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Isn't this an incredible story? That is the gospel. Listen, you should scour your word. From Genesis to Revelation, every word was saved on purpose. But if you miss this, if we miss Jesus, and if we miss the purpose that he has done something in supernatural, it's a supernatural God who came into a broken, messed up world and changes individuals so that that individual can carry that same Jesus to other individuals. That's the whole picture. That's it. I love to learn about him, but if you... If you end your life saying, I know everything about God, we got our whole, we have all of eternity to know all the intricacies about God. What you don't have is all of eternity to witness to your friends and your family. That's not an excuse to live in sin because you're like, well, I didn't know. I just need to say that because somebody on the podcast might try to twist my words. That's not an excuse to not read your word. I'm just saying let's read his word. Let's understand God. Let's attend church. Let's attend prayer meetings. Let's have worship meetings with this focus that I want to spend some time with the Jesus who did something special in me. That's a part of it. But Lord, I want you to spark something in me, fire something up with me, because really my nature just wants to go live in Hawaii now that I'm saved. I mean, why would I want to live in this earth? I don't want to live here anymore. I just want to go to heaven. I mean, let's just be real. Let's be honest here. 
If I'm just, let's just all be brutally honest. We don't want to live in this world. Once we find Christ, what's here? So then we try to make it as heavenly as possible. That's why there's doctrines called heaven now, and, and I'm not opposed to the idea that we are in heaven with Christ now, but I get somewhat a little bit opposed to trying to bring too much of heaven here because I don't see that in the Gospels. What I see is that Jesus made all of his disciples, including this unknown disciple, stay in uncomfortable situations because this is what happens. Everybody say, what's about to happen? It says in verse 20 that the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim. Some of the old text calls it to publish. He began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. One man, one unknown, obscure man that Jesus delivered began to influence an entire region. That's why Jesus came and found you. Yes, to deliver you. It doesn't make his miracle invalid. I mean, yes, but everybody then just camps there. Christianity camps there, and it's like, this is what I've been delivered of. This is what I've been delivered of. This is what I've been delivered of. This is what I've been delivered of to themselves, I'm saying. They're just living their lives. They're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord. Now tell someone else of what you've been delivered of in this that they can be delivered to. It says in the, in the book of Mark, chapter 7, it says, Jesus left, verse 31, Jesus left Tyre and Sidon, went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the ten towns. Now, what's it say in Mark, chapter 5? They told him to leave. They pleaded with him. It literally says that they pleaded. You can look at the... The Greek text, it means pleading. I mean, they begged him to leave in chapter 5. Chapter 7, it says that Jesus went back to the region of the ten towns. And it says in Matthew chapter 15, it has a, a good account here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29 says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. And a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, and those who couldn't speak, and many others. And they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. And the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. It says that they praised the God of Israel. They glorified God, the same region that begged him to leave. Mark chapter 7 verse 32 says that, and it just says that they brought a deaf man. That's why I read the Matthew account because actually it was a whole group of people. But back to Mark chapter 7 verse 32, it says the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. The same region. Now, I don't have the verses, so I don't want anybody to say he's twisting, and I don't think you would, but maybe on the podcast, some of listening, I don't have a verse that says that this man influenced the town enough that Jesus had more of an effect. I don't. But it's very coincidental that in Mark chapter 5, 
literally the cities plead with Jesus to leave. This guy goes around to the exact region that Jesus comes back to, and they beg him to do exactly what he did to this man and that they beg him to leave because of. Right after this, Jesus feeds the 4,000, not the 5,000. This is the second account. Feeds the 4,000, which is on this hillside. Now, just for fun, again, I don't have the scripture, but I thought, wow, Lord, wouldn't it be interesting? It says that he returned to the Sea of Galilee and he climbed a hill and sat down and began. He preached, he spoke, he dealt with some issues here. He had already been dealt with in the spirit, but now he dealt with it in the people. And then he feeds them, feeds the 4,000. Wouldn't it be amazing if this was the same hill that the, uh, that the, uh, the herd of pigs, the demonic forces, came running down and right off? Again, I don't have the scripture, so I don't want anybody to say he took it out of context or, he, or I don't have the verse. But the same exact region, and I just I said, Lord, wow. Wow, Lord, you, you want to deal with the situation. He wants to deal with our region, but the way he does it is he delivers a person. This is what this is his word. This is not this is not my perspective. This is not my opinion. He delivers a person, does something in them, and then he says, "I just want you to tell people what I did for you." Actually, when I was growing up, it used to always be People just say, this is my testimony, and the testimony was what Jesus did for you personally. Who remembers that? Nobody. Not even one person. (laughs) Who said in their testimony, well, Jesus got on a cross and shed his blood for me? Anybody shared that? It didn't make it, it, not even one iota invalid, and that's what it was all about, But your testimony was what that Jesus who got on a cross and shed his blood did for you. That's what people need to hear. When it becomes personal, it becomes intimate, it changes a whole region. Changes a whole region. You can change a city and when it becomes religious, not that the same Jesus doesn't deserve to be glorified as the same Jesus, Jesus on the cross, Jesus' blood, I'm not saying that that's invalid or that's not the gospel, but it's really the gospel is that he didn't do that because he had to just do that. He did it for you. It's it's that personal testimony that that cross produces. And when people hear that your messed up life got changed by his life, then this Jesus, who is a mystery, becomes very real. And the devil, man, he just can't. The devil's gone. The devil's gone. Jesus deals with the devil when he dealt with you. (laughs) People don't want to admit that. Everybody's blaming everybody else for the devil. Maybe you were the one with the devil. Listen, you let the Lord deal with you and the region, man, there's nothing that's going to stop you from influencing your city. Let the Lord deal with you. You go into the city and just tell what the Lord's done for you, and it will change. That's all that we need to do. That's it right there. Amen? Amen. I hope that it made some sense today and that I, I didn't get off and that all the little tidbits didn't take away from it. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. 
I thank you for the life that's in your word. There's life, Lord, in these words because it's real. Lord, because you want to do that in us, because it's our personal testimonies, Lord God, that that's where the power, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, we overcome. I thank you, Lord, that it's the testimony that Jesus, who was on that cross and shed his blood, he did it for me, but it changed my life here and now, in real time. And I thank you, Lord, that we overcome. We thank you, Lord Jesus by that blood, and by that testimony. And I thank you, Lord. I just pray, God, that as we begin, Lord, just afresh and anew, Lord, this week, even this day, Lord, as we begin to just share who this Jesus is for us personally, what he has done in us, Lord, I pray that it would begin to change our communities, Lord God, just change our region. Lord, I thank you that the devil has no power. He just wants to close our mouth and just keep us from telling of this Jesus, of the truth of this Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would bring it up and out of our mouths, Lord God, and you would commission us, Lord, to our region, to our family. Go home to your family and tell them what he has done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.